She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and today, even though October has come and gone, it's November already, but I am not really feeling finished with our witches series that we were doing in October, so I am keeping it rolling a few more weeks to explore a couple more of our witch stories because I find them so interesting, and quite honestly, there were more and more various um, witch trials and periods of time than I knew existed, and I want to keep learning about them. So you're going to learn with me. Today, I am actually circling back to something I briefly mentioned in an episode two weeks ago, the Beatrix Leslie episode. That episode covered the great Scottish witch trials of 1661 to 1662. If you are a weekly regular listener of this podcast, you might remember in that episode me loosely mentioning that part of or or the reason the witchcraft trials had become so popular in the UK and Europe a few hundred years prior was due to King James I and his paranoia that witches were trying to prevent his upcoming marriage. So two weeks ago in that episode, I didn't want to digress too far from our broad's time in Scottish setting of her story, which was about a hundred years after this one today. But that that totally piqued my interest, this witches preventing his marriage story. So I wanted to go back and learn more about that and what really happened. So that is what we are talking about today, the story of Anna Coldings and the witches who supposedly tried to ruin Scotland's King James IV, a.k.a. King James I of England's life. <laughs> I I can't even laugh. I can't even not laugh without saying that. Poor James. Poor James had his whole life ruined by witches. That poor little boy. I do actually feel bad for James. To give you a little historical context without making him the focus of the story today, James was the son of Mary Stuart, a.k.a. Mary Queen of Scots. Mary, as you may recall, had a lot of drama in her personal and professional queen life. And when she was forced to abdicate and James became king, well, technically he was a baby when that happened, so he was a king-in-waiting. He had all these regents that were ruling in his stead, raising him and teaching him to be king. But his mother fled into exile and was eventually beheaded by Queen Elizabeth I. I'm totally glossing over a bunch of these details. Obviously, there's lots of history here. I just don't like to get too distracted from the main story. So if you're interested in any of that, definitely look some of that up. But James, after his mother fled, uh, was raised by a series of ill-fortuned regents. Many of them were assassinated during their time as his regents. And James himself had many attempts on his own life. There's a lot of political turmoil in Scotland and England, for that matter, at this time. Uh, and 
England was at this time also trying, like there was all this for many, many years, England and Scotland were fighting and Scotland wanted to stay independent and England was trying to rule it, et cetera, et cetera. That is like the macro version of it. But there, there was much um, with all of the abdication that was going on with Mary and everybody else and James and the attempts on his life was all about getting political power, trying to get political power restored, et cetera, et cetera. So James himself, because of all of this political turmoil, also had many attempts on his own life. You might remember the whole Guy Fawkes, 5th of November gunpowder plot. That was James. Uh, or James that, that attempt, that bombing was an attempt on James's life. And many of the regents that were also raising James were very strict Protestants, not Catholics. Um, and they not only beat his lessons into him, but they also spoke incessantly about his mother's treachery. And um, that was kind of like his child. That's the nutshell childhood that James led. Obviously, many more specifics go into that. But let's fast forward a little through that traumatically awful childhood. And now we arrive at the time of this episode's story, which is 1589. And James, who is now 23 years old, is betrothed to the 14-year-old princess, Anne of Denmark. They've been exchanging love letters and all that. Um, I'm skipping over the part, by the way, where James doesn't actually even love women. He had um, a male relationship and spent most of his life around men and not hanging out with women, but it became clear he had to get married. So he has got to marry Princess Anne, and they've been exchanging all these love letters, and in the winter of 1589, Princess Anne set sail with her little fleet from Copenhagen to go and marry James in Scotland. However, she does not make it to Scotland because a huge storm comes up, as storms do, and almost sinks her ship. And the ship aborts the final destination, which I think was Edinburgh, uh, and it instead lands in Oslo, Norway, which is, you know, a safe port. And Anne is kind of holed up there until the weather improves. Love, of course, cannot keep them apart. So James sails to Anne in Oslo and they get married there instead. Side note, there's this whole huge wedding that was already planned in Scotland. And it made me really wish I could have seen the look on the wedding planner's face when James jumps the boat for Oslo. (laughs) So anyway, at this time in Denmark, they had already been exploring the possibility of witches being in their midst. It was a witchcraft was a pretty extensive thought on it, on the front of everybody's minds. Part of this uh, is because their nearby neighbor Germany had been having their own Trier witch trials. We haven't talked about that one yet, but that is one of the largest of the German witch trials, which lasted from 1581 to 1593. And it's estimated during those trials, over 1,000 accused witches were executed. Quite a lot. Very high numbers. So, that's happening in Denmark. That's kind of the Danish witchcraft craze. And you'll remember, there's these storms. We just talked about that prevented Princess Anne from getting to Scotland to marry James. Well, the Danish government was wondering what in the world happened that made Anne's voyage such a 
a failure. And they open an investigation into what happened on that trip. And in this investigation, the Danish Minister of Finance, a man named Christopher Valkendorf, is accused of having equipped the royal fleet so insufficiently that it had been unable to withstand the storm. Well, Christopher gets up on the stand in this investigation and he defends himself by saying that the storm had been caused by, quote, witches in the house of Karen the Weaver. One source I found mentioned that he had previously quarreled with this woman, Karen the Weaver, but another source said that the man who named Karen as the cause was actually the admiral who was in charge of the fleet. And actually, I have to admit to you, it seemed like each source I read on this story had slightly different versions of events here. So I definitely think you should take these specifics with a grain of salt, even though I've done my best to kind of parse out what I think is the most accurate version for you. Um, but if you look it up, you will see kind of slight variations in, in what went on here. So Karen is accused and the investigators buy it hook, line, and sinker. And Karen is arrested in July and she confesses, likely, very likely under torture. She confesses to have caused the storms which hunted the royal ship by use of witchcraft. And she also names several other women as her accomplices in this task. And one of these women was Anna Coldings. Uh, you'll see her name spelled a couple different ways. Anna, A-N-N-A, or A-N-A, or also A-N-N. I've seen it as. Uh, under torture, Anna describes in detail how a group of women had gathered in the house of Karen where they had caused the storm of the princess's ship by sending small devils up the keels of the ship. And then she also names five other women as their accomplices, including Malin, who was the wife of the mayor of Copenhagen, and Marguerite Jacob Scrivers. All of these women that she names are arrested and charged with witchcraft. Anna Coldings, meanwhile, after her confession, she was considered a very, very dangerous witch. And she began to be referred to as, quote, mother of the devil. I couldn't find out why she was called that, what that nickname came from specifically, but apparently she was widely considered that. And also, while she was being held in prison, she was treated almost like a celebrity. She was put on display for visitors to come watch and visit with. And also, apparently, she confessed further while she was in prison to two priests and three female visitors. So she was highly visited, talked to, and observed. Very, uh, like a, very much an equivalent of some sort of modern celebrity. So strange. But Anna, in the end, is found guilty as charged and she is executed by burning at the stake at Kronberg. That's right, the Danish, like the Germans, burned their witches. In my research on this episode, I actually learned that the only ones who did not burn accused witches were the English, and therefore, New England, including Salem, which was populated primarily with 
English-flavored colonizers also didn't burn their witches. But poor Anna and Karen, they suffered the German-flavored treatment, so they were burned at the stake. And 12 women in total were reportedly executed for involvement in this particular witch trial with the boats of Princess Anne. Now, James, meanwhile, King James, was not presiding over this particular trial. He just happened to be in Copenhagen when the trial happened because he had just gotten married there, right? But James would turn out to be very inspired by the whole ordeal. And upon returning to Scotland that same year, he began his own investigation into witches, which would eventually become known as the North Berwick Witch Trials. We also have not talked about the North Berwick Witch Trials yet. Brief overview on that one. Somewhere between 70 and 200 so-called witches were put on trial, tortured, and executed from the town of New Berwick, which is near Edinburgh and the surrounding area. The exact number is not known, and they don't also don't know the exact proportion of those that were arrested versus those that were executed. It could be many of them were accused, but not most of them were executed, or maybe almost all of them were. However, there's one thing that historians all seem to agree on about the North Berwick Witch Trials, and that is that the large majority of the accused in the North Berwick Witch Trials were horrifically tortured during examination. James's obsession with witchcraft would eventually, a couple years later, lead him to publish a book called Demonology. This would be one of his more famous publications besides his version of the friggin' Bible. If you remember, the King James Bible. This is that King James. Um, and in the opening of Demonology, James states, quote, The faithful abounding at this time in this country of these detestable slaves of the devil, the witches or enchanters hath moved me, beloved reader, to dispatch in post the following treatise of mine, to resolve the doubting, both that such assaults of Satan are most certainly practiced, and that the instrument thereof merits most severely to be punished. End quote. The whole book is basically like an expert's guide to identifying, hunting, and prosecuting and executing witches. So, listeners, even though the Witchcraft Act of 1563 was passed by Parliament three years prior to James's birth, it was really James's obsession over witches that would end up fueling the fire of all of these Scottish witch hunts for over a hundred years after this moment in time. In total, you might recall from our previous episodes on this series, in Scotland, during this witch-crazed decade, it's thought 4,000 to 6,000 people were tried for witchcraft and that more than 1,500 of those accused people were executed. So, in conclusion, if you thought that King James was a real peach for translating and widely publishing the most popular version of the Bible even to this day, I'd say it is high time to acknowledge that the Bible was not his only legacy. It's an interesting story. And as I'm pondering it, what I think about is how the hatred of women was instilled in James from a very young age 
Plus, he had these very strenuous, rigid teachings, and and he was being taught by these religious zealots and teachers, and the violence enacted against him and his mother. Uh, by the way, apparently, I didn't say this before, James apparently had a very vivid vision of his mother's execution, of her beheading. And in the end, you have this like super fucked up childhood that James led. And it led to a super fucked up adult who would end up avenging all these traumas that he lived through on all of these poor souls that were caught in the witch traps. And James is thought to be, in particular, the, the least merciful of all of the people that held witch trials. This period of time is considered pretty much the most violent of all of them. And poor Anna Coldings. If you find yourself disturbed, because uh, I thought about this, if you find yourself disturbed by her confession and the fact that she brought in other women into the confession, well, clearly they could not have possibly sent little devils in barrels across the ocean to prevent James from marrying Princess Anne. If you find yourself disturbed by, by the accomplices being named, just we have to remember, and it comes back to what I just said, that these particular trials are noted for their torture methods. And it seems to me that Anne and Karen, probably for that matter, were probably just trying to find an end to the torture that was being inflicted upon them. So that's all I've got for you on Anne Coldings and Karen the Weaver and the little devils in barrels that conspired against James. To learn more about Anna Coldings see some artwork of these time periods and some quotes from the story, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page and read more about me, my bio, photo, links to my cool stuff, all right there. Are you following Broads You Should Know on social? We are on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. If you're a fan of this podcast, please help spread the word about us. Share an episode with your friends and family, or better yet, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You guys haven't been doing that. I do check pretty often, and you're not doing it, so do it now. Give us the review. That really helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you were fascinated by this story about Anna Coldings, then I highly recommend that you check out a few of our other witch episodes that we've covered, including Half-Hanged Mary, the woman who was tried twice, hung once, and survived, the real story behind the Salem witch trials, it's probably not what you think, Hypatia, Beatrix Leslie, and of course the Night Witches, the Noctexan, who weren't accused but they were badass Russian fighter pilots who turned the tide of World War II. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.